You're listening to the PK Experience Podcast, where I tap into the minds of today's impact players. My name is Peter King. I'm the host of the show, and my guest today is Dr. Aziz Ghazipura. Dr. Aziz is a confidence expert where he teaches people how to learn confidence so that they can eliminate self-doubt, master conversations, accelerate in their careers, and create deeply fulfilling relationships. He's completed his doctoral training at Stanford and Palo Alto Universities and is the founder of Center for Social Confidence. He's got a large online following with his podcast and YouTube videos and is the author of three best-selling books, including his most popular book, Not Nice. We got into a lot of conversation about confidence in this call, but it transitioned into something very interesting and fascinating that that I really, it shifted me profoundly, um, and that was that we got into metaphysical healing, and he had some fascinating um, perspectives on that. So I'm excited to have you listen to that, and, and I'd love to hear your feedback on that. So with that, why don't we get into it? Here I am with Dr. Aziz Gazipura. All right, I'm here with Dr. Aziz Gazipura. How are you doing, Dr. Aziz? I'm doing great. Thank you. Good. Uh, keeping your head above water here with all this craziness in the world right now? I am. I am. And actually, um, I have found it to be an incredibly insightful experience to have this all going on and and see that it's uh highlights patterns that i think all of us have even before the crisis i think during a crisis everything just gets intensified mm-hmm. but a lot of the stuff that might be happening you know myself or people i talk to like anxiety fear concern about the future these things are already there all the time anyway and now the dial just got turned up to where it's a lot more noticeable yeah yeah, a lot more noticeable. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's it's such an interesting um, time right now because we're all going through it at the same time. Um, and it is interesting to see how some people really come online when, <clears throat> you know, when the chips are stacked against us. Um, some people, I, like various guests that I've spoken to on my podcast or certain people on my network. I mean, certainly there's a lot of people who are concerned and, and fearful. And, you know, I've got friends that are in the medical industry and you know they're definitely fighting an uphill battle right now but um just to see how other people are the light switch goes on and they're like yeah it's go time let's go let's you know we gotta lead out of this so it's it's kind of fascinating you seem to be a a guy that might be in that camp i would imagine yeah um i'd say i'll have moments of freak out and then i'll stay there for a little bit i'll be like okay i I could keep doing this yeah. or, <laughs> and then I, you know, find a way to activate that other part of me, which is right. a lot more resourceful and, uh, and confident and courageous. Excellent. Well, that is sort of the thing that you're known for. Um, let's give the listeners a little bit of a background, how you got there. And, and you mentioned sort of a low point in your life that probably was the catalyst to put you on the path that you're on now. Um, so tell people who are a little bit who you are and, some of your background. Sure. Yeah. Well, that, that is absolutely, uh, there was a low point and at, like many low points, there's a long tail, you know, going into it where <laughs> we, we, we sort of endure it. And that's what I did for many years. So I struggled with a lot of social anxiety, self-doubt, self-judgment, self-criticism, uh, low confidence. And, you know, I think what a lot of people struggling with low confidence fall into is believing that this is just how life is, that, that you get what you're worth and you're not worth that much. Mm. And whether you learned it from family or upbringing or children or other you know, kids at school, whatever the sources are, we got that kind of lot, that identity locked in and then we can stay in that. And I did for 
uh, over a decade and uh, made my, my world narrower and smaller and more restricted and, you know, less contact. And so it really limited me in, in all the key areas of life, right? Friendships, dating, relationships, career, everything was limited. Mm-hmm. And uh, fortunately, I did reach a threshold moment where I realized that the, the, the pain and, and about, you know, putting myself out there and taking risks and being more confident, it just scared me so much. It seemed so uncomfortable. But then I looked at my life and I said, wow, the next 50 years of this, uh, that's going to be way worse. Mm-hmm. And somehow that, you know, tipped the scales inside of me and I was able to start taking action. And really it began a, a study that hasn't stopped until this day. It's been 17 years, uh, an obsessive study of how do we become more confident? And okay. I started I to ask realize. You, real quick, was there, was there an event that, that, that was the low point? Like what yes. was the, what were you feeling? What can you share that with us? Yes, there was a specific moment and I, I, I locked it into my, my memory forever. And so the biggest area that I was feeling the most pain in, I mean, I was restricted in a lot of areas, couldn't speak in front of groups, you know, didn't develop new friendships, really limited career options. But the one that caused the most pain for me when I was a young man was love, dating and relationships. And I just felt completely undateable. Uh, no one wanted to be with me and really believe that story and then operated accordingly. So guess how much I put myself out there? Guess how many risks I took? You know, zero. Um, but I did every six months or so muster the courage to try to date a little bit. And inevitably, they would always end poorly. And I remember there, that had happened again. I'd worked up the courage, actually asked someone out, and she said yes. Um, and then we had a date. I thought it went great. And uh, then, you know, a, couple, a week later, she doesn't want to talk to me. She doesn't want to see me again. And I don't even know why. Mm-hmm. And so here's a guy who's got a young man who's got this story that says, oh, maybe I'm not that good at it, maybe I'm not dateable. And then I do get a date. And then my worst fears are, <laughs> you know, come, come true. And mm-hmm. so I'm feeling very low. I just literally had, you know, this phone call with her where she's pretty distant. And then I walk into my uh, apartment at the time and I had a roommate and I thought he wasn't there. All the lights were off. And so I go into my room and I have my, you know, pasta and I'm about to turn on a video game. And I used to play a lot of video games at that time in my life to kind of do video games, TV, movies, pot, you know, drinking, whatever it is to kind of numb things out. And so I'm about to turn on this video game. And then I hear from the other room, the sound of a woman's laughter. And it turns out that my roommate was home and he was with his girlfriend in, in his room. And I could just hear the muffled voices of him talking and then her laughing again. And something about that, just something snapped inside of me. Mm. And I said, like, that's when I, that's when my, my whole future you know, became apparent. I was like, I cannot live like this anymore. I will not. Um, this is like intolerable. And so then I started to look online, but you know how we can look for answers in a very non-committed way. Oh yeah. We can like be determined to figure something out. I was determined. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to figure this out. And so I did, I started looking online and I came across a course that was, you know, called double your dating. Um, that was about confidence in dating and how to date. And that was, that was the first, I didn't really realize I had a confidence issue. I mean, it's so obvious looking back at the time I thought I just needed to know how to talk to ladies. And so as soon as I got into that material though, and it was the first online course I've ever purchased, um, I realized, Oh, I, this goes way beyond dating. Like I got, I got issues. And, uh, but I started with that and that's when the journey began and hasn't stopped. What was it? Do you recall what, what, 
what it was of the content that helped you see that it was beyond just dating? Yes. Yes. This happened to be really good. So, you know, cause there's a, there was a lot of stuff in that era that falls into the pickup artist category that was, you know, questionable in terms of relationship guidance and advice. But this one was actually very solid teaching about, you know, one of the biggest things that you need to do is be a more confident person to become more attractive. And uh, what I, when I realized I had something beyond just dating was one of the exercises they had you go through is like, what are this, basically what are the limiting beliefs or stories you tell yourself about approaching someone, asking someone out. And I started to write that list out and it was very negative, right? Like she's not gonna want to talk to me. I don't have much to offer. I'm, I'm awkward. I'm a loser. But then I realized like, Oh, I tell myself that like everywhere I go, not just in dating. And that's when the light bulb went off. Mm. And that's when I realized like, Oh, I need to, really shift this. And then what really locked it into place was as I started to grow in my confidence and really discovered, I mean, the, the liberating insight there was like, wait, confidence is a skill mm. that I can learn. Mm-hmm. And that just blew my mind. And then I started to apply it and, and started to have more success in dating. But then I also noticed that I could speak up in front of groups more and I could interact with other you know, people outside of dating and just more socially confident and that's when I, that's when I realized like, oh, this is the ticket to uh, just more success in all areas of life. It's crazy how, how big an effect little things can have. Um, I, was, I was in um, a marriage that was not serving either one of us and <clears throat> needed to go. And after we separated and I started uh, dating about a year later, um, I had realized that I'd spent so much of my time just looking down. Like I just, I was in my head about not necessarily thinking about even dating at all, but just in my head about I got to get this done or like, I'm just frustrated with that. Or how can I turn this around? Like I'm just, I was processing. And so my eyes were always down and, you know, I'd go to, you know, go through a Chipotle or something and I'm not even looking at the, the cashier. Like I'm just, I realized cause I, I'd seen a video that just talked about, um, eye contact, just, just putting your head up and having eye contact with somebody, which is a sign of confidence, which is a sign of, you know, empowerment, et cetera. And I realized, man, I always have my eyes down. Mm. Um, and, and I think a lot of it too, was just in, in the phase that I was in at that moment, it was a very introspective, very sort of, you know, not a good place to be mentally. And, uh, just change that, just that one little habit, just, which does what it picks your head up, your shoulders go back a little bit more. You're looking at somebody in the eyes, which is more confidence. And you just allow nature to take its place. And you smile a little bit more when you're talking. You're, you're a little bit more engaging. Like just, again, that one little thing has such a big impact. Um, so I'm curious to know a little bit more about your transition. So now you started to do, I imagine, some of these things and, and take that into various aspects of your life, not just the dating. <clears throat> but um, this is now your your whole your, your whole thing. It's your whole uh, it's vocation. Yeah. Jam, yeah it's, it's my, it's, it's the business that I run. It's, and I feel like it's more than a business. It's my mission and purpose Yeah. Uh, when it comes to what I'm here to contribute. And I think what, what created that for me was there are a lot of strategies to build confidence. You know, some of that stuff is not 
rocket science or totally novel, right? I obviously heard those things when I was younger, you know, fake it till you make it and um, just go in there and just be yourself. Just be yourself. Just, yeah. just be, you know, and, and all these oh, things. <laughs> and, and I was, I'd always felt like there was this, you know, th- chasm between that advice and me actually, you know, here I am and here's me doing those things. And it was this chasm. And what it was is it was a collection of all those little patterns that you were talking about you know, patterns of physiology, patterns of our body, but also patterns, mental patterns, perception of ourselves. And so what I really realized is like, okay, there's a, there's a certain percentage of people who are like, hey, just be more confident. Do A, B, and C. They read an article online, bam, they got it. They want to be more confident in interviews, they get some tips, they, you know, whatever, on a date, they got it. Uh, but then there's people like me, where it's like, no, I got to like rework something inside of me. Mm-hmm. I can't just implement that. I, I really need a shift. And, and, and it's a process of discovery. And usually there's some conditioning earlier on that you, you, were, you were taught that you're not okay. Don't trust yourself. Don't believe in yourself. You doubt yourself. You judge yourself. You criticize yourself. So those are the people that I help to get out of that pattern. And what I found is that people, even that might be successful on the outside, they, they do have a relationship. They do have a career. Um, they're still doing that to themselves. And it's, it's limiting what they can do and what they can enjoy. But most importantly, it's limiting how they feel day to day. Mm-hmm. And so I became obsessed with not only in myself, but other people. How do we continually, ink? there's always another level of confidence that we can have that will open up more opportunities in our life, both out there, but also in here to feel yes. better and better. And, and, and as it's gone on, confidence I've seen has come from these core pillars of, of authenticity really discovering who we are and, and then the courage to express that. And that's a big part of what I do is, is the science of how do we build the muscle of courage? Mm. And, and it's a, it's a practice, it's a habit, it's a discipline. It's a, it's a muscle. These are all different metaphors, but what they're pointing towards is it's not something that is fixed and it is not something that you get for nothing. And that, you know, at, at the end of the day, confidence is a byproduct of that action. And so bold action is a, is a big thing that I'm a proponent of. And, and then again, it's, but I'm always getting in the weeds of like, okay, that sounds great on a bumper sticker. How do we actually do that? Mm-hmm. How do we do that when, when there's the reality of like, okay, I can put on a persona and I'm a bold action taker, but inside I'm quaking. Um, in, inside, I, I can't sleep at night because I'm anxious about these bold actions that I've taken. And so I'm, I'm as much interested in that bold side of you as I am in that tender, scared part. And how do we really work with that part? So you're not up at night, mm-hmm. even if no one else knows it, you know it. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, ruining the quality of your life. So I'm obsessed with both of those sides of confidence. How, how do you teach authenticity? Yeah. So authenticity, I think, comes down to several parts because sometimes we don't even know who we are. I mean, that, first of all, that's a, that's a big question. I mean, who are you? That's like a spiritual question. That's a psychology question. That's, you know, so I don't know if we ever get to the bottom of it. Um, but many people are living as they were taught was good or right. Um, and we may or may not, how much you realize that is dependent on each person, how much in, in introspection they've done. But a lot of people are like, oh, they're, they're dealing with 
Right. Yeah. You know? Oftentimes it's the pain that goes, Oh shit, I need to need to change my habits. Yes. I mean, you mentioned a, a relationship earlier that was not right. I mean, that's one of those things, like something's happening in our life, in our lives. And we're like, this isn't working. And it's usually not just the circumstance externally. It's who I am here. Yep. Um, you know, and so whether it's a pattern of being very quiet and people pleasing and not wanting to upset anybody, or it's a pattern of striving for something that you think is going to prove something that makes you enough. Finally, you know, we, we're doing these things that, that are not us and, and we start to get pain. And, and, and here's where people really um, start to see it is they, I think the pain that wakes us up most is, is especially if we get what we want and we still feel pain mm. because that's the pain of in, inauthenticity. Mm. Um, the pain of not being yourself. And in fact, even in those early dating programs that I studied, there was an element of like, be this way to become more attractive. But I, I, I think I was like, ultimately, I don't think that's going to bring the satisfaction that we want. And so the way I teach dating relationships is different now. It's, it's very much about how do you know who you are and be such a big advocate and fan and on your own side right. that you can stand in that and be that and show that. Yeah, it's a, it's a slippery slope, some of that uh, dating advice out there, because you do learn a few things that are effective. And you were wise enough to see like, oh, I don't know if this is the path I want to keep going down. But I've seen a lot of guys who do that and they learn the, the, the cheat code to getting a reaction or getting a response or getting a laugh or whatever. And it opens the door and it almost creates deeper insecurities because they know, oh, I'm just playing a program that's getting in a result. I'm not actually really showing who I am. And then ultimately what happens is they maybe even get into a relationship, start to show their full self. And then the person goes, oh, this is not exactly who I thought you were, whatever. And then they leave and it just reinforces on a much deeper level. Yeah. Oh, I really am not loved. I really am not attractive. I really am not all those things. Um, yeah. So walk me through a little bit of, of what you do to help somebody. Um, let's keep the conversation going with what you were saying about Def, you know, coming up with your own sense of authenticity, being yeah. an advocate for yourself, regardless. And I think this may be a key point that you would say is like, regardless of whether you're in a relationship or not. Yes. Not oh, yeah. I mean, our, uh, it's every area of life, uh, how we interact, because everything's relationships, right? So whether it's a romantic relationship or dating, or with your friends, or the people you work with, or your employees, or your employers, or your parents, or everyone. I mean, you we have, and so what we want to do is we want to start to become a lot more curious about a couple of key questions. And one question is to actually be curious about what, what, do, what do I want in this situation? And sometimes we think that's a selfish question. It's, you know, oh, I shouldn't ask that or that's, that's bad of me, but it's actually one of the most important things because it's starting to give you more truth of what's right for you. Mm -hmm. what, what, and, and it's not only what do I want, it's also, well, how did that land for me? So you're, you're with a friend and then they make a joke and you know, the, your pleasing self wants to go, <laughs> but inside maybe you're like, that didn't really land that well. That seemed kind of mean or like a bit of a dig or something. Yeah. Um, or same thing, you know, um, you're talking to someone on a date and see if you want to go further. And the way that they see the world is just not that inspiring to you. Mm -hmm. And so what we got to do is we got to get better at these subtle signals. I mean, we might notice it if it's really obvious, 
but we, we got to get better at these subtle signals of just, and it's just being curious. It's really just being really curious about yourself. And I think that's the origin of a lot of this challenge for most of us mm-hmm. is that we didn't grow up in a household where your internal experience really mattered. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like, yeah, you don't like that thing. Well, whatever. <laughs> so it's like, shut up and do it. What are you scared of? There's nothing to be scared of, you know? And, and oftentimes it's a mixture of well-meaning, like your parents don't want you to feel bad and, and be scared. So they say, don't be scared. Um, or a mixture of lack of patience or space for emotion. And, and that's mm-hmm. pretty common in a lot of households. Was, that, so, was yeah. that your situation? Yeah, definitely. In fact, I had a really interesting experience just two days ago that, that highlights this. And I've known this for a long time and it actually makes me smile when I see it at this point. But um, in my household, it was like feelings. What are those? Those are invisible and we don't talk about them. We, sh- we don't have them, which is obvious we do. We just act them out. And, uh, and we talk about what we did that day. What did you do? What did you accomplish? You know, or, you know, if, if someone that, if you feel upset with someone, it's more like that person is this way and this person is bad. You know, it's very external. And so that's been the case for my, my parents for their, their whole lives. And now my household is very different, right? You know, me and my wife, we have like a, a chart on the wall when our kids were like, they started being able to identify when they were three years old, what zone they were in. You know, my green zone, which is happy or blue zone or yellows and red zone. So anyway, um, we're doing FaceTime because during this time, everyone's FaceTiming a lot more with family members and whatever. And my, my, my four-year-old son is FaceTiming with his grandpa. And, uh, and he, he gets this smile on his face and he's like, your son oh. or your, yeah, my, his son, my, my son. And, okay. and it's his, like his mischievous smile. He gets this, like this twinkle in his eye when he's going to do something. <laughs> he goes, uh, Gumpy is what he calls grandpa. He goes, Gumpy, <laughs> you're stupid. And he, I think he wants to see the reaction. He just learned that word not that long ago. So he's trying right. it out. And he says it again and again. And he's like, Gumpy, your glasses look stupid. You're stupid. You're stupid. And he keeps going at it. And, um, and then I'm curious, like, oh, is he just wanting to try it out? Or I wonder, maybe is there something that he's feeling upset at his grandpa for? So I was like, um, Armand, are you, are you upset with, uh, with Gumpy? And my dad's like, Aziz, not everything is a psychological analysis, okay? You know, and there's this kind of tone there, um, which at this point, I, I'm, I have my own culture of our family. So I, 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 know, I know what's right for me. Yeah. And when we know what's right for us, there's a bit of a boundary there where someone tries to shame or say, no, you're just kind of like, okay, that's not surprising coming from there. But yeah. it, it just highlights the, the, the perspective growing up in my household that, you know, you don't want to ask someone if they're upset with somebody or anything. That's, you don't go there. Oh, interesting. Uh, and so I think this translates over to now we're walking around as adults and uh, we just don't really tend to our own experience. And that's only intensified with the amount of insane and external focus we have with our phones and our, you could just be constantly externally absorbed. Yep. And there's not a, there's not a moment to be like, you know, how did that, did that land? Did I not like it? And then, and here's the other thing we got to get better at studying because at first when we're like, how did that land for me? Did I like that? What do I want? we might get a, a quiet answer and then we get a loud mental answer of how we should feel. We shouldn't be upset with that person because that's, you know, mean. We should be more forgiving. We shouldn't want that because that's selfish. We could, you know, and, and we don't even hear ourselves. Mm-hmm. So that's like, we got to ask the question. Then we got to clear a little bit of mental space 
And that's why in my, I have a book called Not Nice where I talk about all this stuff. And I, talk, I have a chapter in there called Be More Selfish because some people were trying to be so, um, I don't want to upset anybody that we don't even really look inward and become curious about ourselves. Um, and then the last step I would say is once we discover it, then it's about courage to maybe we need to say something. Maybe we need to make a different choice and that can scare us, right? That's mm -hmm. because maybe someone will be upset with us. I think it's one of the root fears for all of us. Someone's going to be upset with me. And so we end up, you know, maybe knowing it's not right, but staying in it. And so my goal with myself and others is to help us identify what is it? What do I want? What is truly right for me? And then having the courage to do it and take that bold leap. Yeah. Do you, is there a framework for finding the authentic self in your mind? Is it, is it each time a custom journey that you're helping somebody with or, or are there sort of some building blocks that somebody could, who's listening could kind of go through to better understand what their authentic self is? That's a great question. I mean, I think um, there, the short answer is I don't have like a, a, a specific framework. It is going to be, I mean, in the books, there's going to be sort of like a, a process to guide people through. Um, but there's, there's that element of asking, if I were to put a, a quick framework on it right now, it would be start with a deep desire to know yourself. Who am I? Hmm. What makes me tick? What do I, what am I really like? What do I like and dislike? It's a real, a, a real curiosity and not like, well, I don't, I, I better discover it's this way and not that way. I better be the kind of person who, who does like to be, um, you know, bold or outgoing or adventurous and not like a bookworm. That would it's be so bad. Yeah. It's so tricky. It's so yeah. nefarious how your mind can even take the thing that you think you're doing the right way and morph it into still the same thing that you're trying to resolve. Well, it, it's because it's still that a part of us that has an agenda to mold ourselves into how we think we should be. Yep. And so I think like that the inquiry really only starts when we've experienced enough pain in life from being someone else. Mm -hmm. And in fact, there's that, um, that famous article that went around that was the top five regrets of the dying it was in a lot of news articles and stuff. And the number one regret was people said I did not live the life that was my own. Mm. Yeah. That's a scary thought. If you can, like you looked at your pivotal moment where you'd saw your friend and his girlfriend and like, that's my possible future. And here I am looking at video games and pot and vegging out, you know, you extrapolated out and felt the pain of future self going, I don't want to sit here and be doing this shit all the time. Um, it's a powerful exercise I find. Um, do you get into like um, shadow work or the dark side of our tendencies? I find that a lot of quote unquote nice guys placate. Uh, they're, they're very nice. Everything is, you know, they don't want to upset anybody like you had mentioned when, when they really get in touch with their core self, that there is a, that there's a primal energy, that there's a, you know, especially when it comes to relationships and sex, um, when it comes to creating boundaries, when it comes to speaking your mind, uh, possibly pissing somebody off. Like there's a lot of uh, pulling back in those instances, but it comes from, I find that it, a lot of that comes from what psychologists would call the darker side of somebody's personality or their psyche. Mm -hmm. is, is that something that you get into at all? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's an essential part of getting to know ourselves, right? Yeah. Is like, what's really there. And if we're like, I got to be this way. And usually this way is not all those shadow side of things. The shadow is just anything that we learned was bad. That was going to lose love or be dangerous in some way. So whether it's anger or sexual desires or whatever is, you know, kind of programmed into us from our culture and upbringing. Um, and yes, a big part of our confidence and our power actually comes from being able to access that side. And, and so I like to think of it like um, the shadow is like the, the raw fuel or the fire. So you, you're like, how do, I, how do I feel about this? And you're like, inside, if you really, really want to see, you might feel like I, I'm angry. Like I want to kill that person. Or like, I want to have sex with that person. I want to have an affair with that person. Like, it's just, it doesn't matter what the social boundaries are. You just feel sexual hunger or anger or whatever it is. And so we, we want to become able to not only um, be, see that, but really let ourselves feel it, mm-hmm. which is kind of counterintuitive because you're like, but if I feel it, it will take me over. And I'll be ranting and raving or I'll have no, I'll be too promiscuous or I'll be destroy all my relationships. And it's like, actually, it's, it's the opposite. The more you suppress that, the more you can't look at that, the more you can't face that, the more it peels off and goes autonomous and starts to control you. <laughs> That's and a great so, way of saying it. It peels yeah. off and goes autonomous. It does. It totally consumes people. And yeah, <clears throat> I find that when you allow, when you accept and surrender to, yeah, this is a natural part of who I am. It, it diminishes its power over you. you. You give it a little bit of space to, space to breathe and sometimes find, oh, it's not actually as bad as what I thought it was. Or it's, it may actually be a very, very good thing. Um, you know, and obviously there are you know, ethical lines and things like that that people can navigate. But well, I think one major, major distinction that I, I'll teach people is there's a difference between feeling a feeling and doing whatever your impulse is. Mm. And, and I think people don't have a sense of trust in themselves that it's possible to really feel something and not act on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I recommend in, in my book, Not Nice, I, I call it a rage walk or a rage journal, but like have a place where you can write anything, the most blaming, acidic, rageful thing you could write or sexual desires or like, and then you could just erase it, you know, on a dock and then back backspace, select the whole thing and get rid of it. You don't have to like read back on that six months later and say, Oh, I remember that time. It's yeah. not one of those journals. It's just about churning and expression. And um, you know, this is a whole uh, other Avenue that we may or may not actually want to walk down this interview. But what I talk about in my books is uh, there's a big connection between all like wide varieties of, of pain, reoccurring pain, chronic injuries, things that people think are structural that are actually emotional sourced. And a lot of that comes from these patterns of inauthenticity, suppressed shadow, um, uh, anger at ourselves from perfectionism, being too nice. All yeah, these things can actually produce major um, pain in the body that people can get surgeries for and and be in months and months of therapies and treatments and never quite find the solution and it's a i was caught up in that for uh, 20 years myself is that right so i have a very strong passion about teaching people that there's a way to heal so many things that they might not realize what was your situation so mine started when i was 15 years old imagine growing up in a house where you can't have any feelings then you know <laughs> you know what what happens to those feelings you know so uh, but yeah i i got diagnosed um i had off and on pain when i was younger but then at 15 it started like in intense chronic pain 
that prevented me from playing all sports, uh, limited my ability to walk. I mean, I would walk, but I'd just be in pain all the time. And uh, I got diagnosed with an autoimmune condition called ankylosing spondylitis, which made the whole thing seem very biological, very out of my hands, very you know, bum genes was what I thought. Yeah. And, um, and, but then that didn't stop there. I had all kinds of other chronic pain too. And uh, it was, wasn't until I was um, about 18 years later is when I first discovered it. And it took a couple years to, you know, really unravel all the way back down to that original pain. But so, yeah, I've lived more of my life than not, than more of my life I lived with chronic pain than the amount of time I've been alive now. Wow. And now I'm free of it and off of all medications and I'm just um, amazed at the power of the mind-body connection and how so many people are unaware of it. And also there's a, there's a strong cultural conditioning, medical conditioning that people are actually resistant to it and will deny that and say, no, 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 no. My pain is real. And what they mean by real is it's like biological, structural and out of their control. And I'm like, okay, man, there's, so I talk about that in all my books. And if anyone is curious, the best place to start, I recommend would be um, two people. One is a, his name is Dr. John Sarno, S-A-R-N-O. He's got a book called Healing Back Pain, which goes way beyond back pain. Mm. but it introduces a philosophy. And then another um, student of his who wrote a, maybe a more broader accessible book beyond back pain is called Think Away Your Pain mm. uh, by mm. Schechter is his name, S-C-H-E-C-T-E-R. And uh, there's so many more resources out there around this, but those will open up hopefully a possibility for anyone listening who's got back pain or reoccurring foot pain, shoulder pain, knee pain, neck pain, jaw pain. I mean, I had it all. So um, there's, there's a way out. That I find that most p- people in that situation, they are, their identity is rooted deeply in the sense of, <clears throat> at the end of the day, victimhood. And that I am not, like you just said, it's outside of my control. It's my body. It's my genes. It's my this. It's my that. And obviously, I say this with, with some sensitivity, obviously, because s- sometimes those things may be biological or they may be, you know, it's just one of those things that's kind of a personal journey where somebody has to really go deep within their own psyche and realize like, am I, am I empowering this by feeling disempowered? Um, am I allowing this to happen? And, uh, so do you have any, I mean, you just referenced these two books, but do you have any advice on how somebody can do sort of a self check to see, am I, am I a perpetrator of my own health in this case, or is it, something that really is, you know, that I'm needing additional support on? You know, I get that. I get that, that struggle because that's really what I struggled with. You know, I came across these mind body books and I was like, Oh, I do have some neck pain and the symptoms they're describing. And I, and I kind of applied some of the the thinking and the techniques and the neck pain results. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. You know, it kind of really opened up my mind. Like a, like a, like a mind thing or stretching or something. Was it? No, it's, that's the thing. It's not structural. It, It is patterns of, um, suppressed anger, uh, people pleasing, um, perfectionism, demands on yourself that create chronic um, overload on your on your autonomic nervous system, and uh, create tension and and pain that can seem very like nerve pain, muscle pain, joint pain, stabbing pain. Like that feels like no, there's something really wrong with my yeah. body right now. Yes. So. I, I resolved some of those things. I was going to ask you, what, if you don't mind sharing, what was the issue with your neck? Do you, what was the mental 
connection to that? Do you recall? Oh, um, so with this stuff, it's not so much like, oh, it was this one suppressed thought. It's more, and you know, one of the main sort of treatments is actually you take time each day to, basically you need to accept that, the, that there's nothing wrong with me structurally. That's the biggest leap. And you say, okay, if there is nothing strong with me structurally, and this is actually created from emotion, and it's from emotion that I don't, that I'm not aware of, and that maybe I don't want to acknowledge. So I wonder what that might be. Is it, am I upset with somebody? What's upsetting me right now in my life that maybe I'm not acknowledging? What's bothering me? What's, what's irritating me? Because those are the ones we tend to suppress, right? Is the irritants. And, and um, you know, in this, in his books, you know, Sarno references some really interesting statistics. Like, hey, if this, is meant, if this is from degeneration of our spines, then when to get worse as people get older? And actually, the worst time is in the years of responsibility between the ages of like 30 and 50s. Mm-hmm. So people have the most, they got their kids, they got their, you know, da, 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 all that stuff going on with their careers. And then they get way less pain when they get older. <laughs> also a research about people, they take healthy people who have no pain and they do MRIs on their backs. And usually people only get an MRI on their back when they have pain. So they said, what if we study people that don't have pain? And they found out that there's all kinds of stuff going on, slip discs, bulging discs, different, you know, scoliosis, all these things, no pain. So the imaging shows, so that the, the idea is that people have, they have pain, they get the image and they say, it's because of that, but it's, but it's not. And so what, but I did, and this actually relates to your question, like, well, is it, is it biological? Is it medical? Is it mental, emotional? When I read those books, one thing I deleted as I read was everything related to the pain in my low back and in my buttock and down my leg, because that was ankylosing spondylitis. That was a genetic, biological, structural medical condition. I had a diagnosis. I had MRIs. I had doctors in white coats that told me that. Mm. I'd lived on a medication for 20 years on that. That was freaking real in my mm. mind. Mm. So I made the distinction. And then I remember I, I, it was a couple years later, I'd, I'd, I'd healed so much. I mean, I was like pain free in so many ways, but I always had this pain. And I was like, and I had this one moment where I woke up and I said, it was like early in the morning. And I said, I wonder if that pain is actually the same kind of pain. I mean, yeah. it would fit. I have the profile of the person who develops mind body pain. Um, <laughs> and it was like, it's like, it's kind of like a duh insight, but it just shows how much we're in our own stories. Yeah. And, and so, and then I remember, then I went into this big battle. Is it real or not? Is it structural or not? And I remember there was a person I, I uh, consulted with medical professional who really understood this stuff inside and out and he said i don't know if that question serves you i don't know if that matters what if you try the same approaches with this as if it were so and see what the effect is Mm. and then i've since then i've met people who are diagnosed with all kinds of things rheumatoid arthritis all these things that we're so convinced are permanent and biological and are symptom free, pain free. They actually have, this is really interesting, like no, nothing. And I was talking to this person about it and she's like, yeah, I don't, I don't have anything anymore. But if you go to her, you know, a former medical professional, it'll say rheumatoid arthritis in remission. Hmm. Right. Cause no, it's still there. You still got something wrong with you. So I don't know if I wanted to steer our interview down this whole thing, but I'm, you can tell I get so passionate. Oh about no, it this is fascinating it's, to me. It's Absolutely just a little form of liberation from my perspective. And that's really was, the confidence work is, is all. What about. was, Yes. Sorry. I mean, 
this this stuff is to me obviously very related. It's it may sound like it's a very different thing, but you're talking about full authenticity, full and 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 removing the psychological noise and the psychological bullshit stories that sometimes get caked on to our actual authentic self, which then obviously affects confidence, it affects your relationships, it affects your work, all that stuff, but obviously it affects therefore then to your body and, and manifests itself in pain because of what your mind and emotions are doing. Um, what was it that, that liberated you from the, the leg pain, the back to lower? Back pain, yeah. Um, it was, it was, it was realizing or opening to the possibility that I could, that there was nothing structurally wrong with me, hmm. despite everything I'd learned over those years and all the evidence I had of when I got off the medicine, I had more pain. You know, and it's like, well, then why would that be the case? And then I remember I woke up one night a little bit later and I was like a series of waking up in the middle of the nights with these things. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. If that's true, then this medicine, which I've been injecting in my body for 15 years, because it, it was took five years before I got, you know, the medicine. And um, so I had this pain for 20 years, 15 years of this medicine. If there's nothing structurally wrong with me, then that's a placebo that I'm taking. Hmm. And I don't need it. And then I had all this fear. And this is where the, the journey to overcome any of this chronic pain stuff is the same as the confidence journey. Cause you gotta, you gotta face that fear and it can be terrifying. And so then I, you know, I actually worked with this uh, amazing coach uh, who helps people with this exact thing. They're called the pain cure clinic. And they're amazing. Cause you know, you can learn from books and I did, but there was like a limit. Like I could heal the other stuff with the books, but this one, like I really need to get in there. And then honestly, it just leads to more the pain. I'd say now I tell people the pain is my greatest teacher. The pain is like a barometer. It's guiding you, right? So if you, if you think about it, bring it to our conversation of authenticity, these are not separate. What is the pain coming from? The pain is coming from, from not listening to myself. The pain comes from two major sources is what they found. Um, so it's, it's anger and other painful emotions that are like, we don't want to feel, but, but the source of that anger, why it's always there is typically perfectionism or what Sarno calls goodism, which is basically being a nice person. Hmm. And so these are continual generators of emotion and anger that we don't realize. And they're, and they're like styles of our habits or personality that we just keep doing. So someone who's hard driving, wants to achieve, wants to get to that next level, I'm one of those people. Uh, you're going to bring that everywhere you go. You know, you bring it to business. You bring it to improving your body. You, you know, I remember I went to a gym to work out with a friend of mine. He runs a gym in town. And I, I don't work out anymore. I work out in a gym myself. Not right now because of everything shut down. But um, I, but I did a course of two years of training at his gym in semi-private training. And I remember I just, just the other day, I was like laughing and reflecting on what, I, what it must have been like to train me. Because I was like, all right, here's my goals. I'm going to come in. I'm going to get this body fat percentage. I'm going to achieve this. I'm gonna achieve. <laughs> it was just like, wow, that was pretty hard <laughs> driving. Uh, you know? And so you bring that everywhere you go. And the pain is a teacher because it forces you to examine how you're showing up to life. And I, I mean, I did, I mean, some of the deepest digging to, to free myself over that in the last three years, it was like, why is, how much of my life and drive is coming from trying to be enough and prove myself? Mm -hmm. If I'm really honest with myself and look, I, it doesn't matter what I tell other people or what I posture, my pain is telling me something mm. and, and, and it, it's not going to go away until I really look at this. 
And I'd done a lot of work around the niceness and being more authentic and being more expressive. And so I was like, I don't, there's some there, but the next level for me was perfectionism. It actually led to a big contributing uh, factor to the book I wrote called On My Own Side, where we, we can be subtly against ourselves, even if as we're achieving a lot and putting pressure on ourselves and it's not enough and you got to get to this next thing. And beneath that is a lot of fear. What if I don't get it? What if it doesn't work out? What and anger. And the anger, often we just suppress it. We're not even aware that, you know, someone doesn't get that thing to you on time. That thing doesn't go the way that you want, but you got to get that outcome. And inside, you, you might just be aware of like, well, I'm determined or I'm going to take care of it. But inside, there's a part of that shadow that's often kind of just submerged. Mm-hmm. That is like, I mean, if you took the, the lid off, it would just be like, I'm angry. It would be like, F you to that person. You're an idiot. I, what's wrong with you? You know? And so again, you don't have to go tell that to people, but you might need a space to really acknowledge that and then do some deep digging and say, wow, there's a lot of pressure on myself right now. And so that's where I, I, I became fascinated why I call it the art of relaxed discipline. And I, I have a chapter in the book uh, on my own side. Cause a lot of people are like, well, Hey, if you're more on your own side, that's great. You know, maybe you feel compassion and love, but you're not going to achieve anything. And I'm like, well, I, there's got to be a better way than self-hatred and tension and body pain to, to drive us. Uh, what, what, what else is there? And I realized there's this art of relaxed discipline and it's, and it is navigating our, our body and our mind to say, okay, how do I move towards this thing? First of all, what do I really want? Why do I really want the X millions? Is it coming from deep worthlessness, deep fear of poverty? You know, because if that's the case, until we address that, it doesn't matter. You're going to get the 10 million and you're going to be hollow inside. And so, so I'm not saying you can't go for 10 million, but, but let's, uh, let's first address that. And, and, and hands down, I've done this with lots of clients. I've done this a lot with myself there's usually some, some core pain, a parent that didn't pay attention to us. We didn't feel loved at school. Um, something that until we go there and face that and feel it and, and, and heal that, uh, we're just perpetually operating. And that's where I had this moment, another in the middle of the night moment where I woke up and I was like, how much of my life has been dictated by wanting to get more attention and emotional att- connection with my dad. Mm-hmm. That if I just achieved enough on the soccer field, if I just achieved enough in business, if I just got this and I'm like, how much of my ambition? And, you know, and I think people don't like to ask those questions because they're afraid of, you know, having how much they might discover. Am I not living my life? Does that, does that mean I'm going to change and not become an ambitious partner or person or successful? And I'm like, no, 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 there's nothing at, there's nothing real at risk here. It's all upside. Whatever you discover is going to be better because A, you either unlock, you unlock the pain part and just start being driven more by like love and purpose and contribution. And, and that's going to make you achieve way more. Or you say, you know what? I do want to create and achieve, but in a very different way. Mm. And it's not going to look like the same amount of money or accolades, but man, it's going to be so much more creative, f- fulfilling or so much more relationship focused. And that's going to be... 
beautiful. That is such a big point because I, I know I've done a lot of personal development stuff and I know a lot of very, very ambitious, accomplished people. And one of their biggest fears is I don't want to let go of this insecurity because it's the driver for my success. It's the, it's the, it's my hunger. If I satiate myself, I'm not going to be hungry. I'm not going to want to achieve. I don't want to be, but what you just said there was, you said it very eloquently and, and you moved right through it, but it, that is so powerful. Uh, I think for a lot of very ambitious alpha driven personalities um, that yeah. there is no loss here. There's only gain. That's, that's something to sit with, I think. Yeah. I mean, I get it. It's a, it's a leap of faith because you might say, no, I mean, and, and of course we're rewarded. There's a lot of kudos, right? You get a lot of, um, well, you get a lot of potentially material benefits if you, if you do it you play it, play and you win. Um, but then also pride and significance and you look, you know, and, and so it's, it's a, and that's where I think that's why I say the pain is a great teacher because unless you have something like that, you know, I, the pain is what wakes people up and whether it might be a physical, for me, it's physical pain for someone else. It might be a marriage that falls apart or, you know, their kid's 15 and they realize that they don't really have a connection with them mm. and something might happen. And they're like, Whoa, Whoa. And, um, and that's where I think those moments are gifts. If we, if we slow down and, and listen to them. Yeah. yeah. Do you, um, would you be willing to diagnose me for something? Cause as you were saying all this, I do have a, what I would have considered a structural issue. I'm, I have, oh, this is my favorite thing. I love this. Really? Yeah, All right. let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. Um, so I've had, uh, I had chronic headaches post, uh, a huge amount of physical exertion. So I go out and I play, I used to play soccer. I'd go play soccer. I'd go for a long run or I'd, I'd push myself really hard. Not, not just a jog, but like when I really push myself, I get these debilitating headaches and it would land me in bed literally for the rest of the day. I had to sleep it off. I wasn't good until the next day. So there were times where I would just literally schedule in, Hey, I, I, cause I want to go play. I want to be yeah. doing these things, but I have to schedule. I can't schedule anything after that. Cause I know I'll probably be, you know, in bed or whatever. Um, so this went on for maybe 10 years. It happened after my collegiate career, but um, it just became a pattern. So uh, long story short, I wanted to do like uh, an adventure race, which is um, kind of like a triathlon, like a mini triathlon thing. And I kept putting it off and um, finally ended up doing it. A friend convinced me to do it. And I, I got to the point where I'm like, screw it. Like I'm not getting any younger. I want to be able to do these things and experience it. I know it's going to kind of suck physically. Sure enough, two thirds of the way through the race, I just got this massive headache. I could barely like stay conscious honestly um thankfully had a great team around me we got to the end you know to the finish line at the finish line there was a chiropractor and he was doing different things and so i started talking to him he's like what's going on i explained to him my problem he reached under my uh clavicle and at this is my clavicle right i forget yeah and he's like oh you have a rib out of place i was like First of all, how are you reaching my rib through my clavicle? I mean, I could, it hurts. Whatever you're doing, I could, it hurts, but I didn't know you could feel my ribs in that. He goes, Yep, you have a rib out of place. He's like, My guess is that that somehow is impeding airflow and you're not getting oxygen to your brain. So when you're doing these big physical exerting things, you're not getting oxygen to your brain. You're getting these massive headaches. So he started adjusting me. Um, and the second he would adjust it, I could walk out. I could go for a super long run. I could push myself. Oh, nice. I could feel that I could breathe. 
right? So this has been a place now that I've been for the last probably five years. Um, we did just recently discover that because it kept slipping out of place. I kept having to go in and get adjusted. And he said, look, because uh, I was going like, I don't want to be dependent on you. I want to be able to be free of this. Yes. And so he's, and he's awesome. And he's been instrumental in, in my overall health with a lot of other things. But he's like, it's, it's possible that there's inflammation that maybe is, is, is uh, destabilizing it. So now we're doing some things to, and, and that's really, really helped. But I, I even actually full transparency today, I'm feeling that shortness of breath that I used to feel when the rib is out of place. And even before this call, I was thinking like, man, I wonder if my rib is out of place again, because I'm yep. feeling the exact same way. Anyway, that is quote unquote structural. Walk me through it. What yeah. do I love that. And, um, and this is where it's so challenging because you have hyper qualified, intelligent experts who use terminology you don't understand who do things that do produce results, it becomes very hard to not buy into it. Um, and in fact, the rib out of place is something that I experienced a lot of. Um, and I would get like intense pain, um, usually in my back, in the kind of the middle as a rib out of place there, um, or sometimes in the front. Um, I thought it was very interesting that when I would get, now when I get a rib out of place, I say, wow, there's like, I'm feeling intense pain right here in the front or in the back of my heart. I wonder what I'm, what's going on emotionally mm. for me mm. now, but before we, before we look at that, so here's the thing. Um, the uh, Dr. Sarno would do these treatments with people where, um, you know, this person has whatever rib pain, neck pain, shortness, breath, back pain, all these different things. And he would, um, they would rule out something severe, like a tumor you know, causing it or something like that. Then beyond that, you know, is it the bulge in their disc or the rib going out? It's like, no, they'd be like, no, this is, we're not gonna look at it structurally. So they teach them that the, these, this whole thing we talked about, about the mind body stuff. But at the same time, they still send them to massage therapists to help them unwind it. And his success rate skyrocketed when they stopped sending them to massage therapists. Oh, that's interesting. Because he realized that as much as we're telling them, yeah, this thing, they go into that world and it's teaching them something else. Well, that's why I'm feeling better because I got a massage. Yeah. And so what he highlights and what I really, what really blew my mind was the power of the belief effect and conditioning. So conditioning, so there's two different things. So the conditioning is when I do X, Y happens. And just like how behavioral conditioned we are, I didn't really realize until I read this stuff is like, so, and people who have pain will know this. As soon as you got pain, you start saying, okay, when I have pain, if I sit in that kind of chair, it's better because if I sit in that kind of chair, it's not good. I got to sleep in that kind of pillow, but not that kind of pillow, you know? Mm -hmm. And sure enough, we expect the pain, we'll get the pain. Uh, uh, if I run, I'm going to get pain. If I run for an hour, I'm going to get a headache. And, and because that's what happened. And then we, and then it happened again. And then we're like, well, shoot, I know what happens here. Yep. And then, so that's the conditioning. And then there's um, the belief effect. And the belief effect happens when a qualified professional says, hey, I know how to fix that. And they do a, a treatment, a pill, a procedure, a manipulation, whatever it is. Um, and then, then there's a cessation. Surgeries are, are very uh, uh, 
impacted by the belief effect. In fact, they did um, a study where they took people of who would qualify for um, arthroscopic surgery in the knee and they split them into two groups and they gave one group the actual surgery and they gave one group where they put them under with anesthesia and just like in little incision holes in them and then woke them up and the groups had equal and in fact the group that had nothing done to them had an even slightly better outcome wow so so we're like and that's a lot of one of the effects of a lot of the surgery especially back surgeries a lot of back surgeries don't produce significant lasting results for bulging discs and all that stuff so that's a big background to say and again um I would say that there are, who knows? I mean, is it exactly what's happening there? But I would say, well, the liberation, the true liberation is not just in the cessation of the pain. The true liberation is in the cessation of the pain and the confidence that I can be and will be pain-free no matter what. Mm-hmm. Unless I get into some serious you know, car accident or something. You know, but, and then my body will recover. My body's meant to recover. Pain is not meant to last years acute pain will recover in four to eight weeks you know so so i think yes i would approach this as a mind body thing i think ribs out are definitely in the category of mind body and i would approach it of like um, now you might say but why does it happen when i do this exertion and i would say well it that's conditioned that you you anticipate that that will happen and so uh what we want to be doing to resolve that is um, really under address the underlying, like what's upsetting me in my life, that kind of inquiry. Yep. And then at the same time, experiment with going into the, the triggering event and then saying, I, I, don't, I don't believe you. So for example, if like um, uh, I had plantar fasciitis, you know, that's pain in the bottom of the foot and, I, and it prevented me from running for many years. So many pains prevented me from doing things for many years. And I was studying this stuff. And so I was working on the, you know, what's upsetting me and that kind of thing. You, you do need to do that. A, a lot of these people recommend uh, 15 minutes a day, at least of like journaling or something where you actually are really creating a time and a space to do that. But, but then at the same time, we want to challenge the, the structural thing. So I would be running and I'd get foot pain. And in the past, I'd be like, oh no, oh, I better, I better stop. Better not, you know, it hurts. And, and, and then what I would do is I would just run. I'd be like, no, I don't, there's nothing structurally wrong with my foot. I don't, I do not believe you. No, like you're not going to, this, I'm not going to buy into this. This, this is emotion. There's emotion. What am I upset about right now? And you, and you challenge it. And so, uh, and then well, amazing things would happen. Sometimes it would hurt the whole time. <laughs> and then one time I was running and the pain significantly went down as I ran. And I said, wait a minute, if this was structural. This would only get worse from running. If you try to run on a broken leg, <laughs> it's going to just only get worse and only hurt more. And so you start to notice these subtle patterns. Does a headache go up and down? Is there ways that I, so, and that's where, so I would, I mean, I'm excited for you, man. I would love, I would recommend um, those two books. I would start with think away your pain. Um, but, uh, Yes, 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 yes. What an exciting opportunity for you to realize that you can play sports. There's nothing that, that means that you must have headaches um, from, from exertion. I think that's a completely a mind-body issue. Yes, um, this is going to open up a whole nother can of worms, but, um, and I know we're a little bit short on time, but this is, I mean, you're really talking about, in my mind, you're talking about spiritual healing. 
um, backing yourself away from the, the human mortal um, primal mind that creates, you know, emotion and pain ultimately to the full authentic self, which I personally believe is spiritual in nature. Yes. Yeah. Such that it, that it heals. Right. Um, yeah. So uh, like I said, I, I don't want to open that because I know that that would be a whole nother long conversation, but maybe we can do another call because I would be curious to hear a little bit more about your spiritual background and, <clears throat> or how, how these things melt because you're a doctor and this is medical and this is science, but it's, you're talking a lot of stuff that I find to be very spiritual, but I don't think that those can't coexist. I think they can actually 100%. Um, I think science can actually prove spirituality in these natures. And I think we're getting there as a society, but um, like I said, that's a whole nother conversation probably. <laughs> it is. Yeah, absolutely. And I, yeah, I mean, well, that's, um, it is a spiritual side of it. I do think, and that's where my, my confidence journey has led me to discover, like, there's always like, what's the next level? What's like, what's the highest level of confidence? First, it's like, I want dating confidence. And then it's like, well, I want confidence to talk in front of groups, talk to anybody. I want confidence to grow a business. I want, okay, great. I write books. Okay. I can do all that stuff. And, and it's still an ongoing journey, but then I'm like, what is like, the highest level of confidence. And to me, like, that means, that means like, um, well, con confidence, confides in Latin means with faith. And I realized that the highest level of confidence is a spiritual confidence mm. is a deep sense of doubtlessness that I'm okay, no matter what. And that means no matter what, even if everything falls away everything that I love. I mean, it's like, and that's the part that I've, so yeah, that, that's a fascinating conversation. And I do think that there's, there's so many layers and, and perspectives, whether it's the scientific or the data or the measured. And, you know, the one thing I, I like to come back to is just that if we zoom out enough, <laughs> uh, what we know is a, is a thimble compared to what we keep, dis like, keep discovering what's out there, what's the next level and the next layer. And so, and for that reason, I think it's a beautiful, inspiring uh, insight that like, yeah, your, your body is meant to be, can be liberated. And, 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 and these, in these pains and these things that we get locked into are very um, constructed and uh and so that there, there's there's possibility there and so that that lights me up anytime anyone's interested in, in that topic because a lot of people are like oh neat yeah you healed yourself all that stuff <laughs> well i got this back pain it's real uh good for you you know oh i'll say one other book that i think especially for you i'd recommend and if any listener wants to go with it this one is like the um you can start with the john sarno one. this one is like it's a little um it's longer and it is more in depth, but it is the, and it's, but it's hilarious. He's a, such a funny writer and he's brilliant. Uh, his name is Steve Ozanich. Okay. Um, and it's called the great pain deception, the great pain deception. And he just goes all the way with it. Um, but, and, and he, however, and his is the most comprehensive in all the crazy ways these mind body conditions can manifest. And it really opened my eyes to that. And it's definitely there, you know, talk about the kind of spiritual healing side of it, but he, I mean, he's, um, uh, Joe Polish, a famous marketer is a huge fan of Steve Ozanich. Um, Howard Stern was a big fan of John Sarno. So, you know, like, and they got their, these platforms to spread some of the message, but so I recommend those resources and, uh, I love it. 
I awesome. uh, want this for you and everyone else. Oh, thank you, man. I, I feel that. Um, for those that are listening, you can check out um, Dr. Aziz's um, social confidence stuff by going to draziz.com. Um, and then the new book on my own side, you can find at omosbook.com. Dr. Aziz, this was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, my, my pleasure. It was a delightful. And I feel like we, as you said, we were just, we're just getting started. We're just scratching ourselves. <laughs> totally, for sure. Yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to do a follow-up call sometime soon. Good deal. Thank you. Thank you again. Take care. Thank you. All right.